Okay, good morning. Uh, welcome to this session, uh, a masterclass on podcasting uh, on this final day of Radio Days Africa. I hope you've enjoyed the conference so far. Please do um, continue to interact with us online at Radio Days Africa uh, using these two hashtags that you can see up here, uh, RDA19 and to the power of 10. Um, Eric Eddings and Verilyn Williams are going to be hosting this uh, masterclass for us this morning. Um, so please do enjoy it with us. I think it's going to be nice and interactive. Um, so that's lovely. I'll give them a minute to just get set up and then we'll get started. Hello, good morning. How is everyone? I apologize in advance. This is, I'm Verilyn. Um, this is Eric. Um, there will be some sneezing and, and tissue stuff happening. No worries, he's not sick, it's just his sinuses. Um, I guess we wanted to start by just like figuring out who's in the room. Um, like, are you guys producers? Are you like people that work in NGOs or nonprofits, um, reporters? So maybe we can do it by a raise, of a, a raise of hand. How many people in the room right now have podcasts? Okay. How, you're not sure. It's <laughs> how many people are reporters and are in journalism? How many people are um, just a part of a nonprofit space and are thinking about maybe using um, podcasting as a as a tool for your organization? And then everyone else. This maybe shout out, are you just like interested in maybe making a podcast? You heard about podcasts? Interested in starting a podcast? Yeah? So everyone else is interested, just interested in starting a podcast, yes? Anybody here for a different reason than one I haven't mentioned? You want to like consult and teach people how to do, are you a journalist in media? Media trainer, okay. Anyone else? And also like this is a call and response type of um, space, so feel free, like, if there's something you don't, go ahead. Nice. Um, and so um, we were here yesterday, and I see some familiar faces in the room. But in case you don't know who we are, uh, I'm Verilyn. I am a producer for WNYC, which is the New York Public Radio, the NPR affiliate for New York City. And um, I've been doing this for maybe like 10 plus years. I am by way of Sierra Leone, live in New York, Brooklyn. Now that I'm all set up, <laughs> how's it going? So my name is Eric, and I am the host and producer of The Nod uh, for Gimlet Media, which is a podcast about uh, black culture and life. Um, I've also worked on uh, a show called Mogul for Gimlet, in addition to Undone, uh, and I also co-hosted and founded a independent podcast called For Colored Nerds. Um, and and I, Eric always reminds me to actually talk about the specific work that I do. Yes. So <laughs> I produce a show called The Stakes, which is about the way we live. Our world is by design. I report and produce um, that show. And so we also have a, a co-facilitator, Sally, who unfortunately might pop in towards the end. Her plane was late, but she um, is here, here safely. Spirit. Here in spirit. <laughs> um, and she um, is the executive director of... Um, not on the record? None on the record. None on the record. And um, is the founder of Afroqueer, which is a podcast out of Nairobi. Um, and so, yeah, let's get yeah. started. All right. So today's session, why are we here? So look, podcasting has really, really changed in a fundamental way, kind of how 
people have access uh, to stories and media. Like it, it really, we call it like we say it democratized the process, basically because the uh, the traditional gatekeepers of I have an idea for a story, I need to pitch that to a publication, or I need to go uh, to this other organization that will help me get my idea to the people. Podcasting kind of fundamentally changes that. Uh, it provides basically anyone, technically, the access to be able to create a story or put some sort of message or even just a conversation out there and get it to the audiences that they care about the most. Uh, so that's something that's really, really empowering. It's really exciting. I'm, I'm, I, for example, am someone who did not come from a journalism background, uh, but I felt like I had, you know, a song in my heart. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to share that with people. So I, you know, I, I founded a podcast with a friend and, and was able to get that message out. Uh, and today, what we're going to do is give you tools to help shape your ideas. So anybody can kind of make a podcast, but obviously we want to make uh, content that is of quality, that is going to engage your audiences, that is going to uh, kind of help drive conversations and push those things forward. So today, what we're going to do is basically use the experience that we have from, the, mm -hmm. from, our, uh, from our journey in podcasting and journalism uh, and give you the very abridged version of how to take those lessons and shape your own stories with them and help, uh, and help you create your own shows and kind of expand that. So let's start by thinking about like what, like how to even get an idea. Well, actually, before we even get to that, there's something I want to acknowledge. Okay. Oh, this. Hang on. Let's see. If... This is hard. <laughs> yeah. So like, I think before we even like, we want to emphasize like this is hard work. Okay. Like a lot of times people will say like, oh, podcasting is easy. You just cut on a microphone, you record a conversation, you put it out there, which is something you absolutely can do. But in order to make it engaging, it's hard work. There's yeah. editing, there's prepping, there's pitching. There's like all these different things that become, that, are, that play major factors in how people actually interact with what you've recorded. And so what we want to do is give you those tools that it's not going to make it not hard, but it's going to help shape your stuff so that regardless of the effort that you put in, your audience will receive that and say, wow, this is really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. This is really of quality. Yeah, absolutely. So, Storytelling 101. So we're going to start thinking about, so what Eric just said is, is interesting because I was thinking about like how many people actually want to start podcasts, which is normally because they hear a show that they really like and they're like, well, that was engaging. It, it, it appealed to me in this specific way. So I could do that, right? Me and my friends have great conversations. Like we could just turn on a mic, right? <laughs> but like, I'm sure there's a lot of work and thinking that goes into it. So if you go to the next slide. Yeah. Finding your idea. So, like, what are the questions you should be asking yourself when you are like, oh, this thing is a unique thing that I want to amplify and think about? For example, with the nod, you know, they were already friends, but in yeah. conceptualizing the idea, they, they had training that they had to do. Well, basically, so like, this, the, the kernel of the idea was like, we wanted to create a show, Brittany and I wanted to create a show that reflected the diversity, you know, and range of black culture, which is like a massive thing. You know, they're like, you know, people say all the time, blackness is not a monolith, but how do you illustrate that? And yeah. so that was the kernel of the idea that we had. Like if we wanted to try, uh, and, and it, you know, it's impossible to do fully, but if we wanted to make our best effort at creating a show that illustrates the diversity of black culture, how would we do that? And so these questions that Verilyn has mentioned <laughs> will help you kind of shape that. So what are the stories that you could tell uniquely well, right? So the, the idea of what black culture is can be a lot of 
different things. If, yeah. if you are telling that story as a black American in America, it would sound really different than if you were in South Africa, Johannesburg specifically, telling a story about what it means to be black, right? Even the concept of being black means different things depending on where you are, right? Like, I have a young person that is from Senegal in America that never thought about herself as being black because she comes from a country where everyone was black, right? And so America does not allow you not to think about being black, so she's wrestling with, with that. So that story is going to be very different than me as someone that grew up in America, but I'm Sierra Leonean, didn't get my green card until a particular time, right? So like, this, like thinking about the story, the idea, but like, what is the perspective that you can offer or who is it that you can talk to that can give a different, we call it pegging, like a peg, <laughs> different peg than what is normally out there. So that I would say like, when you're thinking about your idea, don't just, you know, like dating or, um, Family life, like those yeah. are very broad things, but think about like, okay, what are, can you offer specifically on that topic? Exactly. And then what communities do you have access to? So I know when I first got started in journalism, I was thinking about these really big, like yesterday I was talking about my interest in gentrification because I was working on 125th Street, which is a historically black um, neighborhood, um, streets in Harlem, which is a historically black community. And all the businesses that were local mom and pop stores were disappearing. So I wanted to do a story about gentrification, right? Very top level. And I'm like, well, how is it that I can do that in a way that at the time Barbara Walters was my like person that I wanted to emulate? Does anyone know who Barbara Walters is? Yeah, okay. She's <laughs> I was everyone's like, person. She, yeah, yeah. I was like, how can I do this story differently than what Barbara Walters um, at the time, maybe middle, I can't even, she, I feel like she's always been an older woman to me, but middle-aged <laughs> woman. <laughs> for, for a really long time, but she's also been like very super powerful woman in the media, created The View, a show that I watch very often. How can I tell a story about justification that's very different than what Barbara Walters can do, right? So thinking about like what are the communities that you come from, what um, communities can you be in seamlessly, right? So like if I was to tell a story about being black in Brooklyn, I can go into spaces that Barbara Walters can't go into, right? Exactly. Or and like people my are gonna share things that, people are gonna share things with you that they would not share with Barbara yes. Walters. Yeah. And there's a responsibility in that, right? There's like a, like at least for me, I feel very much like, okay, because I'm being gifted with this story, I have a responsibility in telling it in an authentic way. Um, and I think, like, we, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I think that sometimes that um, can be complicated because of the ways in which our stories are amplified, right? So, like, the ways in which you, because I think distribution is something we think a lot about. Um, yesterday that came up a little bit in the Q&A we had about, like, this asking questions about what individuals happen. So we think, like, we need to, you know, go to the BBC. We need to, like, amplify it on a, on a space like Spotify. But I'm personally I'm more interested in, you know, if I could get it to everyone on the street that I walk on every day, if they can listen to my show, I'm just as happy, right? And so I think we should think about, I think you can't have a conversation about telling a story without thinking about how you're distributing it. And then, I obviously, also, like, what do you care about? So... <laughs> Media is a space where um, we are oftentimes, because we are thinking about distribution, we're also thinking, okay, how can we get the most ears on this thing? And so I argue that the more specific and the more um, you, the more um, 
um, you're building on the heartstrings, right? The thing that you care about, the more specific you are, the more universal it is. Uh, I was going to say, also, in addition to that, I think that the thing, keep in mind, like, making a podcast is ideally is something that's going to be repeatable. And it also takes a ton of time. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you're making a story about something you're not passionate about, you're going to burn out on that very, very fast. Very fast. You very know? fast. Um, so you want to create, if you're, if you're creating stories that are, you're passionate about, then you're going to have the drive and motivation to perfect those stories, to kind of go to what Verilyn was saying, to have the responsibility to make sure you're telling it in an accurate way or in a way that is uh that does justice to the communities that mm -hmm. that those stories come from and, and being authentic about who you are and what the perspective you bring to it um i think goes a long way so there was a, a gentleman yesterday that said he wanted to do, him and his friend were talking about doing a podcast and his friend really wanted to do something on sports he was a sports fanatic or something right he doesn't care about sports so he was like i don't think we should do that but that could be a, sh a thing that they could do, like you care about sports, I don't care about sports, so we can go on maybe forever and ever, but we're being authentic to who we are in that conversation, yeah. as opposed to trying to pretend that we are both sports enthusiasts when it's not the case. And the passion could in that, and the passion in that idea could literally come from the conflict. You know, yes. it's less about it's less about sports themselves, and it's more about the debate between someone who is, who is not that interested in sports and someone who is interested in sports, and there that passion is in that debate. Does that yeah, make sense? Absolutely. Uh, and just for the record, if you guys have any small questions related to the things that we're talking about right now, feel free to go ahead and, and just raise your hands. We'll try to call on you. We're going to have time for like more in-depth questions at the end, but we just want to make sure if you're not following any of the concepts or if you want, if you have a more specific question and want us to go deeper on something, we want to make sure you have access to that. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing you say that it's important for you to be passionate and like know exactly what you're going into. So for example, with myself and my friends, we are really interested in social political issues, right? Mm -hmm. And that means we're going to be looking at a vast array of issues. So are you saying that we should focus on one specific thing or are we able to still um, maintain a level of good quality of content whilst producing around all of those issues. I think, oh sorry. I was gonna ask you just, I was just gonna say like, what are the issues? Like, you know, like, is it like, then when you say issues, political issues, that can mean a lot of different things. Yeah, so for example, we would talk about um, the kind of effects that our recent national elections have had on the youth, or how whether the youth participated in its voter apathy, for instance, um, abortion, and then going to abortion rights and abortion laws in South Africa, and then maybe look at the rest of the world and do comparisons. So I'm talking around those kinds I of issues. I was just going to say, I think, I, I mean, I hear a trend that is less about. Uh, like if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, I actually hear the effects on people as the overarching topic, and that's the thing that you're passionate about. And how you explore that are those individual issues. So those individual issues, you can talk about a variety of things. Those, those sound like episode topics. But the overarching thing that it seems like you're looking at is uh, how do these things affect uh, what it sounds like might be youth in South Africa. And so I think you do have that ability. You know, we're not saying you have to, you want to be specific in, in how you're framing that. So like uh, those, though, you know, the election, the most recent election affects everybody in this, might affect everybody in this room differently. And where you might want to be specific is who you're talking about uh, is receiving those effects. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
and just to amplify that, like don't be, um, like going specific, I think it's like even like talking to a person that um, doesn't vote, for instance, that you know personally, that maybe you and your friends will be like, I can't believe this person doesn't vote. Like, you know, sometimes we want to talk about the broader thing and like have a survey of like maybe Johannesburg, maybe specifically a, a community within jo Joburg, but also it could be like this, my friends and at lunchtime, you know, that's it. so I think like the, not being, um, not thinking small, and sometimes we think when we think small, that it's not going to be universal, like no one will care, but I think for me, and from the trends that we see in podcasting, the, the specific is the thing that is the most appealing. Because the thing that you couldn't get anywhere else, like you know your friends, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, all right, so let's move to so that's finding your idea. And this actually, the, the next slide speaks directly to kind of what you're looking at, which is refining that idea. Mm -hmm. So like you basically have this. So now you have, so for example, with the Nye, we said we wanted to make a show that reflects the diversity of black culture. That is a big, very big topic, you know, like how do you bring that down? So these mm -hmm. questions will help you kind of give some shape mm -hmm. to your idea. Especially as you're going on, you're getting interviews, right? So thinking about what is it about? What is it not about? Right? And so if you're, if you have, an, and we'll get into specifically how to make these editorial choices later, but if you have an, an hour long interview and you know that you want your podcast to be 20 minutes, then you have to think about, okay, like I really, man, this, this moment was so important, but it, actually this is not what my show was about. And so we have to cut it. Yeah. What is going to make a difference, right? What are the driving questions you will answer with every episode? Um, and, and, and that is important. So like the, the thing, so you want something, anytime you're telling a story, you want something that's going to propel you forward. Like you want something that, that people want to know. Like if mm -hmm. I'm listening to this, usually if I'm listening to a story, I, I want to know the answer to a question. I want to, like at the basic level, if, you know, uh, Let's say if it's a story about the election, I want to know who won. That's a question mm -hmm. that would propel me forward in the story. So what are the types of questions that you might be answering uh, in your podcast regularly that will keep people coming back to listen? And, and keep someone to finish the episode, right? Yeah, like sometimes, that you, sometimes you, can, you think you did an amazing thing, but like if I'm listening and I'm like, oh, I already... I feel like I already know everything this is going to be about, then I'm not going to keep listening. So it's about like putting on, we call it signposting. Mm. Has anyone ever heard that term before? So, you know, like you're on the highway and, you know, be like, sorry, my references are New York or America based. <laughs> um, you're on the highway and you're like, oh, like New Jersey is t t 10 miles away, five miles, right? So like, you know, as you're on that road, how long it is to get to your destination. You want to do the same thing with storytelling. So if you're doing a story about the election and, you know, F um, you know the fact that people do not want to vote or people didn't vote in the ele election for whatever reason, um, if you say all right up front, like, you know, the person that this youth population wanted to, to, um, to win didn't win in the beginning, and then everything you're saying is very surface level and it's not really like, I feel like I already know what this is gonna be about, I'm not gonna finish it. But if it's specific, like, and then, you know, his mom died, I don't know, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't even have to be that dramatic, but th those are like the little Easter eggs that you're putting along the way. To, like, you guys know suspense, you guys, when you're watching a TV show, right? So it's a lot of those same things. You want to utilize a lot of those same tools to keep someone listening yeah. and to keep people coming back to your show over yeah. and over again. And then making sure is your story honestly depicting the people and the ideas it's trying to represent. That's something that I am super, like, I feel like the most... Like, I think that's what differentiates my work 
where I'm like, you know, anyone else doing this? Because I, I do feel a responsibility that if I, I, if I am telling majority, like, immigrant community stories or women of color stories that I feel like are often not um, amplified in the ways I have, I'm able to amplify it, I feel very protective of that, right? And so making sure that we are not ex over-explaining, because that's another thing that happens, right? If you're over-explaining, if I'm speaking about an experience that a lot of people that come from my community knows, but I'm explaining it all every step of the way, then I'm signaling that this story actually isn't for them. So like, I think we need to think about like, the ways in which we tell stories and who we're telling it for. Yeah, in, in, in addition to that also, just like this is, where, this is where I think passion really, really comes into play. Like I am very passionate about black people, you know, black people everywhere. And so my, I feel a duty to make sure that I'm telling those stories correctly, that I'm, you know, that I'm being respectful of someone's experience. That I'm, like if someone's telling me a story, I wanna make sure I'm communicating that with the intent uh, that, they, that they were trying to communicate, that they were trying to get out into the world. Mm -hmm. And so when you have that passion, you then follow up that passion by making sure that you're honestly uh, telling that story or you're telling that story in a responsible mm -hmm, way. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, too, because we are storytellers, right? We, like I, I often, me and my host, the host of the show that I produce, The Stakes, often um, joke about the fact that like, I'm always trying to make him cry. Like, that's literally, like, my goal, right? And so, because, you know, we're manipulators, and that's why I think we do have to be honest about the communities, because if you're a good storyteller, you know how to manipulate. You know what the things to, you know, what to leave in, what to take out. Um, so thinking about, like, what you want the audience to remember. So if I'm, if I'm, I see your hand. If I'm telling a story about a woman's life that, you know, I just finished Trevor Noah's book, so that's in my head right now. I think the way that he told his mom's story was super powerful, right? And that could have been a, a story about struggle and strife, right? But she comes off very, I feel like she was very self-possessed. She made a lot of sacrifices. She built him for a life that she didn't even know was possible. And I think the way that he told that story let me walk away with that, right? If it was someone else telling it and it was just like a sad, they wanted you to just feel sad, the same information could have been, could have left me with the feeling like, wow, she had a really hard life, right? And so just thinking about, like, at the end of the day, you're making choices based on what you want the audience to remember overall. So how do you balance what you've just said in, um, around being specific and also honoring the, the stories and the people you're telling the stories for on behalf of mm -hmm. with appealing to a broader audience? That's, mm -hmm. a, so, That's a great question. Yeah. So, for example, so, uh, so obviously I make a show about black culture, as I mentioned. I've, I've, you'll hear that probably 15 more times. Uh, but the thing about that is everybody listens to it. And so, you know, how do, I, how do we make a show that is about and for black people? How do we make that accessible to everyone else? Uh, so we have certain rules. Okay. So for us, we have a rule that... Uh, we try to avoid explanatory commas, okay? So explanatory comma is kind of this term where uh, if you're listening to a story, you'll be like, uh, someone might say some slang, and then they'll say, and if you've never heard that term, this means X, 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 you know, or like this is how you relate to that. And it's clear when you hear, like when you hear that, you know, oh, this is for people who, you know, who might not understand that piece of slang. So the things that we explain in our show are only the stuff that is essential to understand the story. Mm -hmm. So like if, if uh, you need to understand uh, what something is literally to just follow the narrative mm -hmm. of what is happening, 
we will explain that. Because at the end of the day, you don't want people to feel confused. Exactly. Like, you don't want people, because you never hear something and you're like, what was that? That was weird. And now you've missed the 20 seconds because you're thinking. So things that distract from it, that actually will prevent people from yeah. hearing your story, that you want to explain. But, like, jokes, like, if I make an offhand uh, joke or a reference or something like that that is very specific to my culture, maybe it's, you know, something that, it might be a joke that everyone doesn't get. I'm comfortable with that, mm-hmm. you know, because my thing is, if you want to understand that joke, you can Google it. You know, yeah, usually yeah. it's an easily accessible reference. There, there are ways to be able to access, assess mm-hmm. that information. And it's in, most of the time it's in context. Exactly. You know, like I, I, I did an episode for a, a podcast called Family Ghost, and it was about the fact that her family, like they had expectations for the way that, you know, you served food, you know, they had like linen tablecloths, like all these, these fine dining things. And so she says, you know, me and my family, we were sedity, blah, 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 blah. And then she goes on to talk about all the things they would have to do when they're serving food. Even if you don't know what sedity is, based on what she says after that, you kind of get it. But people that know it, like, oh, like, oh, yes, I know what sedity is. And- how many people here knows what sedity is? But also, this is like a maybe American versus a South African <laughs> thing. <laughs> but, but you kind of get it, right? Like, oh, she's acting sedity. And I, you know what I mean? Bougie, exactly. Yeah. And so, you, you know, and, and, and those things are important because the, for the people who hear that language, for the people who hear those references that are speaking specifically to that culture, you feel, you feel some comfort there when you hear mm-hmm. that. You feel, you feel included in the story in a way that you might not have before. Uh, and so it's important to continue to speak authentically. You just want to make sure that if there's something that is, again, essential to the story, that might be a thing that you want to make sure that everybody can get. Yes. Um, but everything else, you have to, you have to be yourself. You have to, that goes back to that responsibility to the community. You have to make them feel included without making them feel like an other. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Okay. So I think we can move to the next one. All right. So now, how do you refine? No, next oh, one. whoops. Sorry, my bad. All right. Okay. Let's try this again. There, there we go. go. All right. <laughs> so now we're going to think about like, okay, so you have your idea. There are a million ways to put out a story. What format do you choose, right? It, it basically, it's like, how does it sound? Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of times people, if you're, especially like uh, when you're like pitching a story to another show, for example, they'd be like, oh, this topic is interesting, but how does it sound? Mm-hmm. These are mm-hmm. the things that are going to help you shape that. And we're going to try to play some clips in between so you get a sense of what, like, okay, so interview chat show, which I think might be the, like everyone here maybe has heard of interview chat show, yes? Yeah. Um, so those are two people talking in interview format, usually a host. Sometimes it's two co-hosts talking. Yeah. And we actually so a segment of bite-sized pieces of your show that follow a, a repeatable format. And so we have a... Yeah, so we a, have a clip from... A, a clip from a show called Death, Sex, and Money out of WNYC um, with um, the author Tressie McMillan Cotton interviewing. We thought it would be... Maybe nice to hear um, from Trevor Noah. So interviewing Trevor Noah. And, and just for, this is more of just like a straight interview as opposed to the, the segments themselves. I was raised in the most powerful matriarchal society yeah. ever. You had a country where most of the men who were fighting against the apartheid government were either imprisoned mm-hmm. or were fleeing to exile or were, 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 were in some way ostracized from from engaging in normal society. And the women were holding it down. The women were holding it down. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up in that culture. I grew up in a culture where 
my grandmother was raising a family. Mm -hmm. My aunt was raising her family. My mother was raising her family. And all of these women raising their families single for different reasons, mm -hmm. but raising them single nonetheless. Mm -hmm. So in my world, genuinely, I grew up, I grew up with a warped sense of what the world actually yeah. is. And it must have been so bizarre for you to leave that bubble. Yeah. And see that the rest of the world did not see this yes, at all. It, it, it constantly is. You know, my mother is fearless. She's fierce. She believes what she believes in. So my mother would tell me, oh, I'm going to dress sexy or, oh, I would, you know, she'd tell me, oh, baby, before you were born, she'd be, uh -huh. I'd, I'd be on the back of a motorbike with my ass out and living my life. And what, and I just, I just, I just understood that this woman was comfortable with all aspects of being a woman. Yeah. And I envy that in her. I still envy her till this day, you know, because I didn't grow up with the same level of confidence. Mm. Um, you know, I, I was plagued by self-doubt my entire life. Mm -hmm. And so my journey is constantly trying to be comfortable in the space and in the body that I'm in. Do you think of your mom as your So it's a it's still storytelling, right? So he happens to be a masterful storyteller, in my opinion. But as the interviewer, your job is to kind of pull those out, right? So you're not at, we'll go over interview techniques as well, but you're not asking like yes or no answers. You're asking questions that kind of elicit a story. And what I liked about that too is that she had a really great follow-up question, right? So within that, you're listening. So. I think that's what makes really great chat shows. Once that it's like, it's like eliciting conversations that I haven't heard and details that I haven't heard, specific details, and you're listening to kind of ask a question that the listener might have. You have a question? Yeah, it's like she's coming with that. Yeah, I'm just wondering if you guys perhaps have any uh, knowledge on um, where the majority of traffic is. You know, given the different types or formats, right? So from a consumption point of view. Well, I think, I think you want to think about it slightly differently. I think, uh, so I wouldn't think about it where as to like what is the most popular format as opposed to who makes the, mo like who is making more types of this type of show. Does that make sense? So like people make interview and chat shows the most overwhelmingly because they're they're relatively easy well easy to produce is like relative but in terms of like it, the components that you need you need a guest you need a host you need a you need a microphone to record that so there are a lot there are a lot fewer steps so a lot of times uh, when people are getting started in podcasting, they'll start with those types of shows because, you know, you can, you can kind of get to it pretty quickly. So I would say you probably have the overwhelming majority of people making chat and interview shows. Uh, what makes the chat and interview show more dynamic and is like creating segments, right? Creating things that people could come to expect, yeah. um, which can maybe go, put you outside of this, the, the straight two people talking. Yeah. Um, and also, I think some people can provide clips. You know, you can have the host narrate a little bit. Yeah, there's no, there's no like, and, and that's not to say like, these are, are simple. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, these not are engaging shows. Like, majority of the ones I listen to are actually interview and chat shows, even yeah. though I make all the other types. Yeah. So, Def Sex and Man Money has like three producers um, that are booking, prepping, you know? So yeah. it's not like it's just, oh, Chessie's going to call up Trevor and then we're recording and that's it. It yeah. takes a long time to get an interview like that out. But you probably have, you have much fewer people making uh, narrative journalism shows because that, that usually requires a lot more resources. Like if you're reporting a story, you have to go out and talk to more people. You have to find those people. You have to cut down those interviews. You usually have to like script. And it's similar to like non-narrated pieces. It's very hard to take like a massive story that you're telling and cut it down and still have it flow 
like mm-hmm. and feel seamless. That's really yeah. kind of difficult Without to do. Without having a host or someone taking you through the story, right? So non-narrative means you're putting together interviews and sounds without having a narrator. Yeah. You have a question? Yeah. And it's really quickly, fiction is when you have a fiction podcast is, is fully scripted yep. and a creative conceit is when you kind of blow it all up and yep. you're having a show that kind of doesn't fit in the box of any one of this or maybe it mix and matches that. Yeah, and I'll, we'll play an example of that after your question. So like this, this is an extension to that question. So once sure. you've described your persona, right, the mm-hmm. person you're targeting to, how do you then market to them, you know, with mm-hmm. organic and paid for avenues? So how do you find them, reel them into the, the sales or marketing funnel and then keep them in there? Well, I would say, one, I think that's a different process. Mm-hmm. So I think the, what we're going to talk about today is the focus on the creation of those stories. And to me, that's actually the most important part because, you know, you can, you can market your show as well as you want, but if the show itself isn't built on a strong idea, people are going to, like, drop out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Usually you have about 30 seconds to grab people's attention, to make a decision on whether or not they're going to listen to your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what we're focusing on today is making sure you get past that 30 seconds and then through the end of the episode and then on to the next episodes that you're going to focus on. And so, by the end, we'll pass around an, um, to get your emails. And what we'll do is send you a link to yesterday's presentation, which was on the business of podcasting, and also this one yeah. as well. And the reason why, the reason why I kind of back, backed away from that a little bit is to, to kind of explain the kind of like the core of the thing like you if you you have an idea what you want to figure out is how what is the best way for me to communicate this idea Idea. and so like that's that's an essential question for you to figure out if you're going to be developing a podcast Mm -hmm. you can make a podcast on any topic whatsoever but there's probably a like a best way a very specific best way for you to tell the story uh or for you to communicate this specific idea or this Mm -hmm. specific uh, format and so we want to give you these formats that will help you kind of translate those things and so you, you can, can figure mix out and match market. too like you don't have to feel like okay this is a straight interview like uh, you know you do want people to to have a sense of what to come to expect from your show but it could be what they come to expect is really smart conversation about this specific topic exactly. right and then I keep looking at you because you've given me a specific <laughs> topic to think about um, yeah but you have a question um, yes, hello, and thank you for coming, and thank you for being here, and all. Yes. Um, I've written a novel, okay, which is episodic, and it will be published, and all of that, and that's not why I'm telling you this. But what would stop me creating a podcast of that episodic, as opposed to an audio book and all of the other stuff that's out there? Would Ooh. it be an appropriate marketing tool? Well, to, actually, so to, that's a huge revenue um, driver right now for publishing companies in the States right now. Actually, um, actually, um, so Emily Bazelon is an author um, that just came out of a book about the um, Brooklyn court system and she actually has a podcast that was came out, we were working on it simultaneously as she was finishing her book. Um, but that's like a marketing tool that the, at least in my experience, that the publishing company will invest in. It still requires a lot of money. But again, like that's more about once you have the story, how to get it out, how to make money from it. And what's the best way to tell it? And, what's and the so best like, way you know, for you, there might be some decisions to make on this novel that you've written. Is it best to adapt it uh, 
on, like, I don't, I'm not sure if it's fiction or not, but if it's fiction, you know, is, are you telling the story as if, you know, as if they were listening to a play or a movie? Or are you uh, interviewing people about topics related to your book? Are you uh, reporting a story that maybe aligns with the topics and themes there? You know, uh, is there some like fun way for you to present that information? So, you know, creating a podcast that will align with your book or that could support that is, a, you know, yeah, it's a great idea. But figuring out the best way for you to tell the stories that would support that, that's a thing that you also still need to figure out. Yeah. So uh, I want to move on to show you guys just a couple um, and examples of this before we kind of progress forward. So creative conceit. So the nod is kind of like, uh, it's a very weird show. So like we say, like, like we said before, we want to sh showcase the variety and diversity of, you know, black culture. So we make all of this stuff in the course of, uh, in the course of any given episode. And one of the ones I want to play you is kind of what we call like a creative conceit. And so we basically take segments. And so our show uh, will develop different different mini formats within an episode that help you understand what's going to happen next. So, for example, we have a segment called Good for the Blacks, and uh, it's basically we take something that people are like debating around black culture and we uh, form a panel on it. And so when we set up Good for the Blacks, our audience automatically knows, okay, this is going to be a panel discussion. And so one of these is this very strange one that we've made that is kind of a creative conceit that we call Vindication Court. And so literally, it's almost like a play where we take something that we consider has been like, uh, like maligned by the culture and we try to vindicate it and we make, the we make the actual show sound just like People's Court, okay? Uh, everybody familiar with People's Court? Everybody heard of people, People's Court or a court show? So, yeah, so I'm gonna play you the first like minute and a half of this just so you can understand how much we, com how much we commit to that people's core idea. And just apologies for anybody in the room, there's some, there's some spicy language. Uh, it's not mine, it's the music. All rise by the power vested in the nod. This is Vindication Court. Honorable Judge Brittany M. Luce presiding. Today's case, the people versus snap music. Snap Music stands accused of two charges. Charge one, it's terrible. Charge two, Snap Music broke hip-hop's business model. What you are about to witness is kind of real. These are actual black people with too much time on their hands. Their aim? To redeem people and things reviled and ridiculed by the culture. Instead of writing Twitter threads and yelling in a group text, the parties have agreed to bring their case to be forever settled in our form. Vindication Court. From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod, a podcast about Black culture from Blackness's biggest fans. I'm Eric Eddings. And I'm Brittany Luce. Order in the court. Order in the court. On my docket today, I have the people versus snap music. 
Okay, so then I go on as the lawyer in this, in this situation to present a case on why I feel snap music is actually very good. Uh, but basically what we've done there, we've had, we, we could have staged that, that topic, discussing the merits of snap music. We could have done that as, a, as, as an interview, as like just a, a two-way, just Brittany and I talking together. Uh, we could have reported a story about it, but we just thought it would be more fun to do it like people's court. So, you know, we're ridiculous that way, so we did it. Uh, so those are the types of things that you, you can do. That's what we mean by creative conceit. It's just like some kind of fun way or some different way to present the information. Um, and so I think we also had, do we also have one? Uh, so I did a, a report on um, There's been a lot, a lot of reports on. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you, that was helpful. Uh, so I did it, uh, um, so for The Stakes, which is a show about the where we live, it's by design, based on choices that people make. And um, one of the things I was really interested in, in reporting on is maternal mortality rates of black women in America. Um, it's something that has been heavily reported over the last couple of years. Black women in America are three to four times more likely to die in giving birth um, and postpartum than white women. And so something, as a black woman, I was very, very, very um, invested in. And so, um, I was like, okay, we know this, but how are black women responding to it? And so I went off, I was like, that was a question I had, and I reported on it, and so this is the first minute of the episode I did. And what I want you to think about, and you know, the examples that we just played is how, like right away, I wanted people to feel something. This is all of it on WNYC, I'm Allison Stewart. Several reports have come out in the last Maybe it comes in a little bit. About the and so a lot of people separate. The wrong one? Okay. Well, we'll. Oh, okay. All right, here we go. Listener supported. W. And speaking of community. If, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. Okay. Miss Brown, you okay? You okay? Oh my God. In this episode, a woke pregnancy. Okay. Somebody come in. Something is wrong with my sister here. Someone come in, please, please, please. I don't know what's going on. Miss Brown, you okay? You okay? Oh my God, that's no You're listening to a simulation. We're at Woodhall Hospital in Brooklyn, and the staff are practicing what to do when a woman in labor is at risk of dying. New York City is paying for hospitals to run these drills because. In a city with some of the most sophisticated health centers in the world, an alarming number of women die giving birth, or shortly thereafter. And not just any women, black women. So the numbers are a black woman in America is three to four. No, I was just saying the time. Sorry. Um, so right away you hear the difference, right? You feel like you're in it. It's helpfully has an emotional tug that you're like, oh my gosh, how many people thought something actually was happening, right? <laughs> uh, so like you know that as a as a narrative uh, producer my job is to kind of find find the sounds put you in a space that you feel like you're in it with the the narrator the storyteller that's telling the story all right so let's you know oops let's keep going okay so let's get into 
kind of the, the elements of this, this narrative production of storytelling. And so this is which file? It's the, um, so it's the legal status one, yeah. So later, oh, actually, let me hand this out to you guys. So we wanted you to, as your, we only have 30 copies. So yeah, you can share. So maybe area. Mm. Can we put it on the screen? That, that would just take too long. It might, yeah, it might be a little. <laughs> So we wanted to, as you're listening, for you to think about um, the sounds that you're hearing. You know, what are the different scenes? Um, what are the specific focus of the piece? Is there even 30? Maybe not. Okay. So think about what are the sounds that you're hearing? What are the different scenes in the, in the piece? Um, what are the, what's the specific focus of the piece? Did the piece make you care and why? And is the piece written for the ear? So those are the things that we just want to kind of let you be thinking about as you're listening to it. It's about, um, maybe we can, we'll find a good place to start. It's a 10 minute piece, but, and it's actually, <laughs> it's my first radio story about my legal status in America. Um, and I think it's self-explanatory, so I won't say too much. And so, <laughs> um, and then after that, we'll go over the elements of storytelling. WNYC's Radio Rookies trains young people how to tell their own stories on the radio, and it held its last workshop in the Mashalu section of the North Bronx. 19-year-old Verilyn Williams' parents moved to the Bronx with her when Verilyn was an infant. Even though she's lived in the U.S. almost her entire life, Verilyn's legal status has been a mystery to her. This is her quest for answers. My dad reminds me of some of the politicians I see on TV like in the last presidential debates. I mean, they say a whole lot, but most of the time, they aren't telling me what I want to know. This is so I can clear it up. What's my legal status right now? My dad is most annoying like, when the it? subject is serious, like is with Thomas. my immigration status. Your legal status right now, um, when I got my green card under the suspension of deportation, you, you and your mom were entitled to get your green card also at that point. So something happened which I don't really know, and they told me that I had to apply for you guys. I, you, you should be okay because under, under the re relief program, you're entitled to stay in the United States. It's just a matter of time before you get your, your... Everything is in the works. It's just that it takes forever. Confused? Well, imagine how I feel. My parents moved here when I was just a few months old. I always knew I was born in Sierra Leone, West Africa, and that I wasn't a U.S. citizen, but I didn't know what that meant. Oh yeah, I know this song. I consider myself Sierra Leonean because I grew up hearing Creole, listening to all kinds of African music, and eating cassava leaves de rice. But America is my home because I know nowhere else. Here is where I learned to speak my mind, and I know I don't want to have to answer to anybody, so I need to be making my own money. When I was 14, I wanted to get a job, but my parents didn't want me to work because they said I was too young. Two years ago, when I was 17, I did get a job tutoring kids. I worked a whole week and didn't get paid because I didn't have a social security number. Then it came time to fill out my financial aid form for college, and I had to check being a citizen or a permanent resident. So I asked my parents if I had an alien registration number, because if you're a permanent resident, you have one. I found out that I wasn't even a permanent resident, and that meant I couldn't get any financial aid. Since my parents could only afford a local college, 
what I wanted to do, I couldn't do anymore like go to Spelman or Howard University and live in the dorms. I resented my parents for putting me in this situation and for keeping the truth from me. I wanted to know why I wasn't allowed to work, why I didn't have a social security number, and what they were doing to fix things. I must confess that I've been really laid back and that I should have done more, you know, to try to get your status changed. But it's better late than never. When my parents first got here, my dad filed for asylum for us. It was denied, so he filed for something called suspension of deportation. A lawyer told him not to include me and my mom in the petition because if my dad got deported, then we would get deported too. So when the judge approved my dad's application, he got a green card, but we didn't. Though I've lived in America all my life, technically it feels like I don't exist. I never thought I'd have fewer rights than my younger sister and brother who were born here. You are? My brother Victor is 12 now. I am different, because I'm not, I'm not a citizen like you and Lavis are. So I'll just get the green card. And do you think it's easy to get a green card? I'm not sure. How do you get a green card? You have to apply for it, and sometimes it takes years to get it. My family doesn't understand why I feel so frustrated and helpless. When I started asking my Uncle Nathan questions, he made it clear he didn't want me talking about this issue on the radio. You do not want to go like this, hear me. You do not want to do that, Via. Everybody keeps saying, do something, do something, do something, and I'm trying to do something, and everybody... I never said do something. So we were going to sit in La La Land for the rest of my life? I said, what I told you to do is go to your dad. I've been going to him for freaking four years. Okay, Vigilin, Vigilin, that's your, but, 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 okay, so you put the blame on your dad. I didn't make the choice to come here, and basically what you're saying for me is to sit here and wait for him to do something? Vigilin, Vigilin, believe it or not, when your dad came over here, that's the best thing he could have done for you. Okay, do not, you don't understand. You do not understand. When you, somebody gets their green card, they're supposed to put their dependents under it. I was supposed to bring get a green card. Tell me why that's not, why I don't but have a green You card. should be mad at your dad for not doing that from the so get-go. What am I, so I'm supposed to sit here and be mad? Okay, there's one thing you could do. You could sit here and be mad, right? The other thing is, could, is, is you could get yourself deported, right? Which is what I firmly believe you're on the gods of doing. Do you understand that September 11 has changed, changed the rules of the game? Uncle Nathan thought looking. talking about this was dangerous for me. Back before you sit here and start opening my face. Okay, do not talk to your Uncle Nathan that way. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get up in your face or whatever. I'm just telling you my opinions, okay? But and I'm telling you because I have your best interests at heart. Everyone goes on about my best interests. So capturing the moment, right? It's like, it's not like I'm like, we'll sit down for this. You know, this is like a real argument that we would have had whether the mics were on or not. And so what we want to go over next is this, this, the elements that you just heard, right? Um, does anyone want to shout out maybe some of the things that you were thinking about as far as the sounds that you hear? What are some of the sounds you remember hearing? Yeah. I heard African music. Yeah. What else? Just shout it out. Raise voices to the arguments, yeah? The yep. door, yeah. Sound effects. That was me and my sister arguing. Wait, is that was that in so that's, that story, like, literally, I know it word for word in my head, so now I'm like, what did I just hear? But, um, yeah, so the door, the argument with my sister, I think there was a door in that scene. And, like, could you tell, like, for instance, with the African music, how that was different from the narration, right? So you hear me in the back, like, here, listen, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know this song. 
right? And also just think about what that signals to you. That signals to you that we're not necessarily talking about. Like if you would have heard snap music playing, for example, you're picturing different people in your mind. Um, so, th you know, all those pieces, they do work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so those pieces have names. <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm sitting there and I'm telling you, like, you know, when, you know, I've been in America all my life, but technically it feels like oh, I don't exist, right? That is a narration. And I have actual word-for-word -word definitions that I'm quite proud of, so I'm going to read them. So basically, it's just... Ver so yeah, so like a spoken or written account of the story that's being recorded, right? So that's the part that, you know, you spend a lot of time thinking about what is it that I can say in the maybe the most concise amount of words to kind of keep you along the story and like make you understand the rest of the elements that's being said, Yeah? Okay. <laughs> and then, of course, there are the interviews. And so in a narrative story, it sometimes is different. Sometimes you will have an expert interview, right? Where I, I, it Actually, for this story, I interviewed lawyers. I interviewed caseworkers. But those people didn't make it into the piece. So I use that for information for myself as a reporter, um, like even suspension of deportation. Like all those facts, like I didn't know when I first started going into it, but I learned it throughout like what it actually it means. But I kept the interviews with like my brother because I think like that is, you know, I'm more interested in hearing what my brother thinks about how easy it is to get a green card than the immigration lawyer that like works in this and thinks about this all the time, right? And even in some ways, the interview with my uncle is an interview, but then it turns into a scene because he doesn't want to do the interview. And so I'm like, all right, forget it. Let's not do the interview. And then I didn't turn off the recorder, which is like a major key in doing narrative storytelling is never turn off the recorder. Turn it on before you get to the interview. So you walking in, so that's how you get the door sound, you walking on the elevator, all that, you record all of that. You get to the conversation you're gonna have, keep it on, because I guarantee you the moment that you stop having the official interview, that's when the best tape is gonna come. So like had I stopped, because we had like a really dry interview. It's one of those things when you're talking to an adult in your life and they're just giving you the like... The basics. The basics, and I'm just like, I see what you're doing here, and I'm not with it, so I'm going to stop this interview. And then we had that conversation, right? So had I turned off the recorder, I wouldn't have gotten that tape. So... Did you need your own permission to stop? Under New York State law, no. But under my family... Because New York City is a one-party consent rule that's... A whole nother conversation for another day, because I record sometimes. You guys have had a really bizarre conversation with an Uber driver. Whenever that's happening, I turn my recorder on. <laughs> so technically, I could use that. It's about like, how I'm using it in my own personal ethics and in the ethics of WNYC. Yeah. So. Also, I would just add, like, it's also, it, it, you know, there are kind of some other considerations in terms of like, how you're even approaching it. Like, if you're, if you're thinking about, you know, like if you've interviewed someone, you might want to go back to them from like even just like a fact checking yes. standpoint of like we're including this. This is accurately reflect how you just how you think of what happened. So you might ask those questions. You might still use that same tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you might go back to them and say, hey, you know, I'm a journalist. This is kind of this is a story I'm telling. This is how it's being framed. You're getting like a heads up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I go back to like making sure you're taking care of the community that you're trying to represent. Exactly, exactly. And then there's scene tape, and so I think also oh, ambience, which is room tone, the, so if... Well, I was just gonna say, like the door sounds, for example, that you so described. Not, so, those are... So I would argue that, so ambience to me is the room sound. So the fact that, like, well, let's just be quiet for like a half a second. So you hear a sound, right? You hear the computer, you hear maybe the AC, I'm not sure, but you hear sounds even though it's pitch black, I mean quiet, right? And so you need that 
in order to tell a story. Because when I'm doing the narration, it would be like, did anyone remember Bewitched? The show Bewitched. So not having ambient sound, which is room tone, is like blinking. So like if I want to go from here to outside, if I don't include ambient sound, it would be like I just pop from this room to that room. There's nothing that's walking you through it. So you need ambient sound to kind of take, be underneath the, in, the narration and the, the interview, wherever you have the interview, in order for it to sound seamless. Otherwise, it sounds like really different. Because where you record your narration is most of the time is not where you conducted the interview. Yeah? You didn't say ambience can be used to keep you in the story even though there's no dialogue. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Because it's jarring. You're like, oh, this is different. Like, and it's like, it goes back to like keeping the person's attention. Because if I notice, especially if you're a sound snob like I am, I'm going <laughs> to, yes, okay. Um, I'm going to notice that. So now I'm not thinking about the story. I'm thinking about the fact that, damn, they should have recorded more ambient sound. Or, I mean, even if, like, often, a lot of times it just helps break up what you're listening to. Yeah. You know, if you listen to just a straight interview, sometimes that can get mon monotonous. But if you go and they're, next thing you know, they're in, a scene and they're in a restaurant and you hear people yeah. you know behind them like talking or chattering or that's what I mean like the door sound you might yeah, hear yeah, like yeah, the yeah. ambiance of that space you're now you've perked up you're like wait mm -hmm. we've moved somewhere different yeah. something has progressed and so that kind of brings you back into the story and so scenes okay. yeah that's my yeah. question did you, pick, did you pick white noise for the entire piece so in this case did you pick uh, a sort of white noise or a sort of bass ambience for the whole piece or did you you record ambience wherever you are so every place I'm recording I record room tone in that particular place and usually you just like if you've done an interview for example you say hey this has been great thank you so much if you could just sit here for just one minute because you want to rooms sound different when they have people in yes them. And so you want people to be in the exact spot that they were and so you just literally just hold up your microphone you say just hang on just give me like 30 seconds to a minute and you just sit there you know you think about it some people that's when they check twitter or some people do whatever but you you do whatever you can to stay silent and you do that in each scenario that you're recording in to make sure that you have that. Mm -hmm. Which, so then scene tape is recording life as it unfolds, right? And so that is, you know, me and my uncle having an argument. Me, later on in the piece, I call an immigration hotline. Um, it would be like uh, me and my, my siblings, like talk, I think that we were talking about like, why didn't you wash the dishes or something like that. Like those moments as life is happening, that's scene tape. Right? Or like me turning on the music to say, like, oh, I know this song. Like I'm trying to talk about the ways being African in America has shown up in my life. So that is like, and the story will be different if those scenes weren't in it. Right? You would hear me say, like, I grew up in America all my life. I've eaten cassava leaves and rice. But you hearing me when I talk about the music, turn on the music and like sing along with it, it gives you a different feeling. It adds context that I could have said. I could have just said, you know, I know this specific song and I could have just told you the name of the song, or you can hear me do it. The the, there's a phrase that we often use. You want to always, you want to, as, well, as much as possible, you want to show, not tell. You know, I can tell you a million things in the world and you have nothing, you have no reason to believe me. But if I show you, if you're seeing or if you're listening to this happen and unfold, you're now in that space. You're feeling that same thing that I might have told you and you might not have connected with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I um, just want to throw in story sounds into the mix. Because sometimes, you know, I know, for instance, that um, we did a story on the, on the stakes where um, we were talking about a train sound. We were talking about a, a, a history. It was a history. So we were talking about something that happened in the past on the train. So we had a sound design that kind of recreated 
the feeling of being in the train, right? So he went to the subway, he recorded the sounds of the train. So there's a way to kind of create, so it's different than scene tape in the sense that it's not life as it unfolds, but you're still putting me in the mode of the train. Yeah, An another quick example of that. So we do a, uh, like a food segment uh, called To Go Plate. And so we actually go to someone's space where they cook a meal. And as they're, we we'll do an interview with them, but as they're cooking the meal, we record the sounds of each step. Yeah. And we might actually split those, that sound up. Like if you, you know, usually cooking is a pretty linear process, but we might spread that out along the interview. So like at the point where they're talking about frying, that's when you hear the frying sounds. And so that's mm -hmm. why it's a little different than a scene, because in a scene, you're kind of hearing it as it unfolds. But those story sounds can be deployed however you need them to, to serve that story. Yeah, that kind of relates to that. When someone shows you around, like you're going around a hospital and that's mm -hmm. kind of the delivery room and like, what, where would you place it? Is it scene tape? Is so it story So if it's that they're showing you um, how a, um, the steps of a woman giving birth, right? The doctor's explaining it and they're like turning on the EK, I don't know. EKG, EKG. Sure. but that's not for giving birth, <laughs> but that's a term I know. So they're turning it on and then you're recording it. They're like, you hear the boop, 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 the heart monitor, like that. But if it's like um, in the moment, so like the tape that we played, like there's something happening and you're recording that, that's a scene. Or they're explaining it. So basically, usually with a scene, you're, you're, uh, you're kind of creating one complete, think of it as like a, um, think of it like a scene from a movie. So literally, like, you have a beginning and an ending to a scene. There's kind of a point. There's, like, there's usually an arc to it. You take something away from it. As opposed to, like, story sounds or ambiance, those are, like, think of those as pieces. Those are things that just help you illustrate kind of the overall thing mm -hmm, that's happening. Mm -hmm. But it's very... I would say... They, all, they work yeah, together. They work together. <laughs> you need, and sometimes you'll have a scene... But like, oh man, I really can't, you know, I really, there's nothing that really shows me that you're on 125th Street. And so I might go back and be like, you know, 125th Street, women are constantly like, you want braiding? You want hair braiding? So I might go back just to get that. And that, that you know, so that's a story sound I've added to a scene. Yeah. Just so people that know that street will be able to be able to recognize those sounds that they normally would hear. And then of course, music. I think we're all familiar with music. Yeah, and so like, for example, like we, you can use music in many different type of ways. So like, if someone is explaining something, and it's you know, if they're talking about giving birth, and it was a, it was a, a traumatic experience, or it was something that was extremely. Um, like poignant, you might want to play music that helps people feel that emotion that other people are feeling. You want to use music to support the emotions that are already coming out in the, uh, in the piece. I think we had a question here first, and then we can go there. Yeah, um, what are your thoughts on, on using um, perhaps like video um, to support, you know, some of these elements, right? Mm -hmm. So to give the backstory of, I don't know, you were talking about cooking, and maybe, you know, in support of, you know, the storytelling, the audio storytelling to actually so, show bits of footage of, you know, of the behind the scenes and a bit of narration for that, that sort of like supports um, or that sort of like promotes um, the podcast. Well, I mean, keep in mind that feels like a separate component. Yeah. So, like, what we're talking about are the things that happen after you, like, when you press play on like the audio podcast. It could be, it could be extremely helpful to create a video that might provide further context, and that's something that you, you know, encourage people to go and listen to. But I also encourage you, you can build that context into the episode. You know, there's no reason if you're making an episode about cocaine that you can't take C cooking. Oh, I, you I heard that. cocaine at first. I was too. like, I was like, oh, okay. Was like, you know? I don't know, we mentioned hey. cocaine. I was like, 
I thought you said cocaine. My bad. But I was like, hey, you know, whatever, whatever. You, you make your show about what you make your show about. But, um, but if you're if you're if you want to provide some context, you can build that into your your episode, and it might happen through narration. It might happen through uh, what we call like archival tape. Maybe there's news footage that you play, you know, or something else. If it's cooking, maybe you you know play another or some like another piece of a clip or something like that. There's ways to do that in the audio episode, but you absolutely can create other things to yeah. support that. But as a producer, it is helpful if you're thinking about that beforehand because yeah. you can't recreate the moment she tells you for the first time so like yeah you should be thinking about it for sure um my question actually uh comes from what you just said at the end there in the piece that you played the scene sort of plays out naturally and it's very effective because it's playing out raw and naturally but i wanted to find out then can you use these points to sort of curate scenes and would they be as effective as the raw one that we heard? So that was not raw. Like, there was so much that went into that. Like, oh, that okay. conversation was a lot longer. It very natural. But that's... You, thank you. That's but the that's, work. That's the work. <laughs> the cool. work is to make it sound seamless, but I guarantee you it took, for, you know, a long time. Because, you know, it's like... I always think of it like a, a puzzle. Like, you have so many interviews, so much sound. Like, and so you're trying to create it in a way that you can use the least amount to tell the most effective story. To make it sound seamless, but... That's like the highest compliment. Someone's like, that looked easy. And I'm like, hmm. And some, and some <laughs> scenes don't often take place. Like that, that, was, that felt self-contained, for example. Yeah. But some scenes, you pop in and you provide a bit of narration yeah. in the middle of it just because you need that to continue in it. Yeah. Some scenes are built, you can build them with music or other things like that. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's many different ways to kind of uh, create these pieces, like mm -hmm. you said. Uh, but yeah, the goal is to make it sound as seamless as this one did. Um, my question is around music. Mm -hmm. um, what do the laws actually say about using music in podcasts? Well, so, it depends. It depends. Um, um, and I was, so I'm speaking specifically from an American context. We have this thing that people throw around a lot, fair use, right? So is this a fair use of using Beyonce's Girls Run the World if it's a podcast about empowering young women, right? And so the rule, so also the understanding, and this is something I learned very intimately um, when I was working at Slate, which is a for-profit. So there's also rules based on nonprofit versus for-profit. WNYC is a radio station, so they have licensing agreements. So it, it's so many components that go into it. But working at Slate, which was a for-profit podcasting company, it was for a fair use is a legal argument. So you have to be sued or someone has to say, you don't have the right to use this in order to make the argument around that, the, right? To, 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 and to define what we mean by fair use. So typically how fair use is illustrated is like, basically uh, you want to be discussing mm -hmm. the music that you're playing. Like you need the music in order to make your point. Exactly. As opposed to just using it underneath the thing just for general yeah. mood setting like Eric said earlier. Yeah, so like with the uh, snap music thing that I played, the vindication court thing, we're talking about snap music. Like we are dissecting it piece by piece by piece. We're calling those things out. So we claim fair use to use that music because it's a key part. Hearing that is a key part of communicating the story and the message that, that, it, that is a part of that episode. Mm -hmm. So I, now just, but to go back, you would definitely want to double check what the laws are here and how uh, those concepts are applied because it might be very different. Um, on that note, uh, 15 seconds is kind of what they let you use, but most music has different licensing agreements. What I use for my podcasts, if you YouTube free audio library, you can actually go for the stuff that's um, non-licensed 
and free for use. And if you put in those categories, it pops up some songs. They're not Beyonce's greatest hits, <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you're looking for like some ambient music, they'll have something funky, something dramatic, something. So just to be safe, maybe stick with those. You can buy programs that will give you that free-to-use kind of music software. But typically, we have a 15-second law. You can use 15 seconds of their bot. And, and just one other quick note on that. A lot of times, like, I mean, it depends on access and resources. But like, for example, that people's court theme that you heard in Vindication Court, that's what we call a sound like. And so basically, we went to our engineer, and we were like, uh, he loves playing around with music. We were like, look, we can't play the people's court theme because we don't have actually a good excuse to, to use that music. But we need something that when people hear it, they're going to know, oh, they're supposed to be like people's court. And so you can find things that sound like what you're trying to communicate. Yeah, and... Yeah, this will be yeah, we'll the second one because we want to make sure we get yeah. time for everything. Splice, Splice is a good option if you're doing your own sound design because you can subscribe to loops that you can work with an engineer there's splice there's marmoset uh there's audio jungle there's a whole bunch of like libraries that you can go to that have music that will that you can use under many different licensing agreements